On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold-cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Mark Preston. It was interesting because um, I went from um, Arrow, which was, a, I suppose, a mid-grid team, um, to, to McLaren and then obviously to Super Aguri. And some of the things that I took home, I suppose, was that McLaren's strength is its professionalism and its um, organization. One thing that um, always sticks with me is... Mark, thanks for making time. No problem. Thank you. So um, for folks who are not hardcore Formula E enthusiasts, can you give us a little bit about your background and uh, tell us about Tachita and everything else? Sure. Um, I've been in motorsports for pretty much my whole career. I started about 25 years ago in Australia, came to England, um, worked in Formula One for teams like Arrows Grand Prix, if anyone remembers those, McLaren, which is still around, obviously. Um, Started a Formula One team called Super Aguri with Honda, uh, which lasted a couple of years before the, the crash happened. Um, over the last, then the next few years, I was doing a few startups out of um, university in Oxford, um, and then started the Formula Electric Racing team, which is now called Tachita, and I'm the team principal. And in fact, I'm sitting here down in Valencia. We're about to do three days of testing uh, for the upcoming season. So I've always been around racing cars. And then on the other side, I've been looking at autonomous vehicles and have a small company that I'm the founder of called Street Drone, where we, we manufacture some autonomous vehicles, which people can use for testing. And we also develop some uh, applications for joining up OEMs with mobility applications for the future. And, you know, I know we're going to talk a lot about um, the racing, but uh, just, just to give people a little bit more background, can you talk about the way that Street Drone is really kind of democratizing access to autonomous vehicles? Sure. I mean, what we've seen and what we saw over the last few years is that obviously there's some really big companies doing autonomous vehicle development, every big company from Google to Ford to GM and many others. Um, and we realized that there was a, a hole in the market for people to be developing it from universities, small startups, um, and those kind of companies around the world. So we started manufacturing a small development car based on a Renault Twizy and Renault works with us to develop that car so you can buy a car and get going and start testing autonomous vehicles. We provide some open source software which comes from Nagoya University in Japan. Uh, it's called AutoWare. So pretty much you can buy one of our cars and be go running in a few weeks and be testing autonomous vehicles for a way uh, cheaper price than if you were, were trying to compete directly with Google and, and those kind of guys. Yeah. And and for folks, especially over in North America that may not be as familiar with DS, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, to give people a little bit of background of the brand and, and why you chose to work with them? So this is for the race team in Formula E. We work yeah. with DS, which is part of the um, Citron, Peugeot Citron group. Um, it's called PSA, for the people that don't know. Um, it's a brand that's separated off 
from the main group, and it's one of the, it's becoming the upmarket um, luxury brand for electric vehicles. So they're focusing completely in the future anyway on, on electric vehicles. Currently, there's a couple of cars out, DS7 and a DS3 Crossback. Um, historically, the DS name comes from one of the cars, the, you know, the classic Citroen cars from the, uh, from the 60s, which everyone probably remembers, the very swoopy uh, car that had the um, hydro-pneumatic suspension and, and a bit of an icon. So that's where the DS name came from. And over two years ago, I think it was, yes, two years ago, they separated the brand off and um, have become their own um, separate brand. I'm not sure if it's coming to North America, certainly big in the UK, um, France, and, and the other parts of Europe, and also South America and also in China. Yeah. You know, there's a t- quite popular TV show over here called The Mentalist, where he drove one of those Citroen DSs. And... He did too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did show, yeah. And, and so <laughs> you it's... You see them around, don't you? Yeah, it's essentially kind of like what Lexus is to Toyota or Infiniti is to Nissan. Is that... Is that a fair comparison? That's, yeah, I think that's a fair comparison, yes. And, and um, so when you think about, you know, the idea of innovation and leadership, I mean, your whole sport of taking F1 racing completely electric, the entire sport is innovation. Um, what, how do you see, what kind of principles of, of leadership are you bringing to, to this work? Um, it's, it's interesting. When we've looked at motorsports, you know, a number of times over the years when we give presentations, I've realized that motorsport is really a prototyping competition. So when I was in F1, I would say that we would have brought 21 new front wings every year to the car. We'd bring all sorts of different setups, all different software. Every every two weekends, you would bring new software. It's a constant battle, a com- constant competition between the teams. So it keeps everything pushing forward. You can't rest on your laurels and, and sort of wait till the next release of software. You're always releasing software. You're always releasing ideas onto the car, testing them. We're here in Valencia testing the cars and trying lots of ideas. We'll be here lots of very late nights this week as the engineers and the mechanics um, rebuild the cars, try different ideas, update software, uh, and test the next day. So motorsports is a sort of a relentless um, push to develop um, to develop software, hardware, um, make the cars go faster. Uh, that's the premise of the whole thing. It's in some ways, it's probably a little bit like um, the military in some ways when they're operating in a very difficult situation. So, you know, the, we often joke that the race goes on without you. So, you know, if you're in a normal business where you can say, we'll delay the release of that software for say two weeks or something like that, that doesn't happen in motor racing because the race will happen no matter if you're there or not. So you're pretty much forced to make decisions and I've, I've found some, some terminology that sort of fits quite well. A lot of people call it time boxing or sprints. You know, that's another way of saying it. So in between each race, we've got two weeks often to decide what we're going to change between the last race and the next race. But there's no delaying that next race. It happens with or without you. So, you, you know, you finish a race or a test and you go back to the base and you redevelop things, you change things, you update things, and you know the time frame you've got. So you can sort of say, all right, we have to make a decision in this next two weeks on these main parameters that are going wrong. And no matter what happens, we have to make a decision at the end of those two weeks because basically we have to go racing. So you can use sort of terminology like time boxing, like sprints. Um, and basically, yeah, we're a prototyping competition in lots of ways. Yeah. When you think about, you know, the rest of us who are running, obviously, organizations in completely different industries than yourself, if 
if we wanted to benefit from that type of methodology, if we want to maybe artificially impose those on ourselves, would you have any advice for folks where, you know, hey, there's a team that might give us pushback because they've never, they've never been required to have this level of discipline or things? Any ideas for the rest of us? I mean, a lot of it's to do with focus. So uh, you can imagine that um, our focus is, I suppose, simple in terms of we have to win. That's what we're focusing on at the next race. So everybody is pretty clear about what they have to do. If we were slow in certain areas or we believe that we weren't as quick as other teams because of maybe we didn't understand something to do with energy management in Formula E or tyres or things like that, then there's a very, very clear focus of what we have to do. So we sort of leave the track and we set, we analyse the next day when we get back from the factory or, from, sorry, to the factory from elsewhere in the world and we say, okay, what were the main um, problems? We have things like we call car stoppers, which mean if we don't fix it, we don't go racing. So they're number ones that get um, figured out first. So they're things like the tyres keep going flat or something keeps breaking or we can't, we can't race. So they get solved first. And then second, we, you know, we move down to things like performance, which is we're not quick enough uh, in this particular area. Let's solve that. We've got two weeks to come up with a solution. Um, everybody go for it. So the focus is very, very clear focuses. And I think from what I understand, that relates best to things, concepts like sprints, where you say, we've got two weeks till the next race. Here's the focus. Everybody work on that, um, that problem for these next two weeks and we'll deliver it in two weeks. And it'll, in our world, it'll get tested um, in, in front of the customers or in front of the, the fans, let's say, um, uh, at a race. So the, the closest thing I've found is, is yeah, what people call um, sprints, where you have a very, very targeted, focused requirement to finish in a certain time frame. And another concept that's quite good I've, I've found is called, a lot of people call it time, um, time boxing, I think it's called, where you basically say at the end of this two weeks, we have to be super pragmatic. And no matter what we do, we have to decide. We have to have an answer in two weeks. We can't say we need two more weeks to come up with something better. It's a little bit like a minimum viable product in a, in a way. Um, in two weeks' time, no matter what, you have to focus on coming up with a solution. There's no, there's, no, there's no way you can't go to the next race without solving that problem. So some of those concepts... Um, it takes a little, little bit while to get used to it because you think it's not perfect. Uh, we should keep going and make it more perfect. So, you know, sometimes it's better to have something rather than something that's perfect. So those kind of concepts work uh, quite well in motorsports. Yeah. So uh, it's obviously uh, your approach is pretty effective. Can you talk a little bit about both team standings and driver standings? Yeah, sure. I mean, we uh, we didn't get everything perfect last year. We were leading both uh, parts of the championship, the drivers with John Eric Verne and the and the teams um, against Audi. But uh, we made a couple of mistakes in the last few races where we didn't actually bring the most validated software we should have brought. And also uh, one of our drivers, Andre, uh, jumped the start in the final race. So we, we ended up winning the drivers' championship, John Eric Verne, and uh, we came second in the teams by two points. So... Next year we have to uh, beat those uh, Audis. <laughs> yeah. How how do I know you're in motorsport where you're apologizing for second place when you're beating <laughs> you're be, you know you're you're beating Renault you're beating you know huge teams. Uh, it's a pretty pretty impressive results to be number one in the, <laughs> number one for driver and, and top two for yeah. team. We, we t- you know, sometimes I think um, I also talk about the fact you have to have that total package. So last year, we really did have the total package. We, I feel, of course, we had the best drivers 
Renault gave us a great powertrain. Um, we had the right resources. We had a great group of people working for us. Um, and we knew we had to win, that it was a really good chance last year of winning both championships. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a pity that we didn't get both. But um, it was certainly made as exciting for the fans as we, we waited till the very last race to decide both both championships. Yeah. So I'm interested, you know, um, for those of us who, who are not as intense about the sport, you know, I hear that you spent time over at McLaren and, and you know, working with, with such notable worldwide known organizations. What are, what are some of the takeaways that you have of, you know, McLaren versus all the, the work with Honda at Superguri? Um, it was interesting because um, I went from um, Arrows, which was, a, I suppose, a mid-grid team, um, to, to McLaren and then obviously to Super Aguri. And some of the things that I took home, I suppose, was that McLaren's strength is its professionalism and its um, organization. One thing that um, always sticks with me is Ron Dennis, who was the, the boss of uh, McLaren at the time. Um, he said, you know, when he first came into motorsports, he said everyone said everything was a black art, everything was magic, let's say. But he went about trying to make things about science. And I think that's really important, that you need to understand understand your numbers and be very methodical and at the same time obviously working quickly, but you have to be very methodical. And I like the way that he approached things at McLaren, very much scientific solutions, not um, rumour and hearsay and um, uh, just making wild, wild um, hypotheses that you can't back up with science. That's very important. Uh, in motor racing, and that's something I learned quite a lot at, at McLaren. The other thing is they did a lot of codification, so I think this is very much like um, normal companies, a lot of specialization as the teams get bigger, people specialize more, and that's the same in, in normal business, I believe. Um, so they, what I mean by codifying things is that when you had a problem, they would basically write things down, do a proper job of solving the problem, and then probably never come back to that problem again what you find in motor racing and it's probably the same in other businesses is that if you jump around like a headless chicken, you know, you, you uh, try to solve a problem. You it's, it's not scientifically solved properly. Um, you go down a certain path, you get lost, you have to come back. You don't know where you are. There's a lot to having a very steady, as some of my engineers say, positive gradient to your um, <laughs> performance. So, um, you know, there's, there's so many teams that sort of jump around everywhere and don't, positively go forward in the right way. McLaren was very good at um, solving a problem and really never coming back to it, doing a really good job at solving it, codifying the answer, and then moving forward. So it was kind of a lot of quality control in a lot of ways. So quality control with engineering, quality control with manufacturing. Um, it's a lot about not making mistakes um, because mistakes, uh, what we found last year and a couple of times we had mistakes, that's what um, helped to uh, lose us the championship. Audi didn't make so many mistakes at the end of the year, um, although we didn't make so many at the beginning of the year. So um, what I found the most was, um, yeah, the, the scientific approach to things. What I enjoyed the most going to probably Super Aguri was I took a little bit of the entrepreneurial nature of um, Arrows, where uh, my old boss, Tom Walkinshaw, was very entrepreneurial and about the way he went about things. So I felt that at Super Aguri we had a mix of the professionalism of McLaren and the entrepreneurial nature of um, of Arrows. Um, it's a pity the, the crash hadn't come because uh, Honda obviously pulled out of Formula One at the time. Um, but uh, we were looking for looking to hit the, the great heights there in Formula One. Um, and it's, that's what you find about motor racing and probably normal business as well. It's a lot about timing. 
Um, and certainly last year with Tashida, we certainly had the right timing of getting all the pieces of the puzzle together and uh, taking as many ideas as we could from what we'd all learned in the past. Yeah. So, and you were the principal designer at McLaren, is that right? Um, I was called, I was called um, principal designer of structures. So I did all the crash testing and um, composite design, etc. I worked for actually for Adrian Newey, if you know one of the famous designers in Formula One. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with him for a few years, which was quite fascinating. He's now the technical director of Red Bull. Yeah. And so when you think about, um, obviously, you know, going from, from a role like that to it becoming your own outfit and, and where you're really a principal, you know, um, talk about what, what you found to be kind of the most important lessons as you, you became the big cheese. <laughs> I suppose I, I moved away from being the, um, uh, the, the technical person to being the um, sort of overall boss over the years. I suppose you become more generalist as time goes on. Um, when you first start in motor racing and probably any business, I often say this to younger engineers and people you know, looking to get jobs just out of university. In some ways, you have to be a specialist when you leave university. And, and then when you get to my position over time, you're really a generalist. You know, you know enough about tires. You know enough about legal contracts. You know enough about sales and marketing to be involved in all the different aspects of the team. Um, when you become someone, a team principal, which is what I, my role is now, um, and enough to delve into things um, when you need to. But I suppose the hard bit is, you know, being an engineer, having done all those things, you've got to stop yourself getting really carried away and getting too involved and let the engineers get on with what they're, they're good at and try not to get too involved in the details. Um, so nowadays I'm, I'm more of a generalist overlooking most things uh, in terms of marketing, legals, um, contracts, drivers, all those kind of things. So it's a more of a generalist role when you get more senior. Yeah. You know, I think for so many of us, um, if we have made our way up the same organization or within the same industry, um, and we know that we have the technical skills at something that our, our staff mem- members maybe aren't executing to the level we could have, it's such a temptation to jump in, you know. Um, any yeah. Anything <laughs> that you tell yourself to as far as like helping develop them so that you won't need to jump in versus I, sometimes I feel like it's like, do you teach the five-year-old how to clean up or do you do it yourself? Cause you know, it'll be faster this time. Right. Yeah. Um, obviously when you have very good people, they, um, they may come and ask you some questions about, did you find anything when you were in my job? Um, so sometimes people come and say, we're a bit stuck. Um, did you have any, um, any thoughts? I try not to solve the problem if I can. Um, I'm, I'm very much someone who um, is good at brainstorming and doesn't um, sort of say bad things about people's ideas. I encourage everybody to put their ideas on the table. So um, I suppose what I feel I'm good at is uh, encouraging others to speak up and give their ideas and, and maybe say, look, I tried that before. It didn't work for these reasons, but you guys might find another way around it. Here's what here's what I've found in the past, but it's up to you guys to solve the problem. Um and if you really have some really difficult problems, then um, obviously get involved, but try not to. That doesn't happen too often. So uh, the guys usually solve most of the issues themselves. Yeah. Do you feel like you had any good kind of mentors or examples of that as you rose through your career? Um, I was lucky enough to work with some of the really um, famous designers, people like John Barnard at um, Arrows, who'd been very famous for, as a Ferrari designer, and um, McLaren. He did the most famous McLarens back in the 
in the 80s and 90s. Um, so learned a lot from those kind of people. Um, Adrian Newey was fascinating in the way that he um, pushes so hard and is so keen to try new ideas and go over the top uh, many times. And sometimes there's mistakes along the way, but you have to have a nice balance between um, never having any mistakes. I mean, that's certainly something I learned with one of my old bosses used to come down to us in the laboratories and say, how come you haven't failed anything this year? And we said, oh, we're trying very hard to not have any problems. And he would say, then you're not making the car light enough, are you? So there was always a balance <laughs> between making it too light and having too many failures, which really that caused the organization to have, you know, to be slowed down because if you have too many failures, then the organization can't keep up. But if you have no failures, then obviously you're not pushing hard enough. So mm. it's always trying to find that very edge of the envelope and allowing a certain amount of failure, but not too much. So it's a it's a fine line between um, between failure and um, uh, having too too much go right all the time and being too conservative. So I think that's very much uh, what happens in motorsport, and I I believe that's what's happening in the rest of the world now. Everyone's trying to fail fast. Um, fail often um certainly is something that does does um sit with us quite quite well i suppose yeah you know you think about learning learning from someone who spent time at ferrari and it's such an iconic brand and there's almost just like a such a culture of performance um to you i mean did you feel that or or what did you how do you feel like the you know your mentor's time at ferrari impacted you or or any benefits you received from having them I, I suppose as a, as a young engineer in let's say the highest level of motorsport that you know uh, someone can do in the world and to have you know to, to to learn from people from places like ferrari and those kind of things a lot of it was how how hard they pushed you know i don't think some people probably still wouldn't believe how much we or i've certainly experienced going to the edge of the envelope um sometimes when i've been to other teams People say, how how far should I go? And I, I sort of think, well, at McLaren, I found that, you know, when you said, how far should we go? They'd say, sort of like, how far can you think? Um, tell us how <laughs> far you would want to go. And we'd, I'd say something crazy, and they'd say, let's try that then. So um, sometimes I've found, you know, meeting some of those more famous characters, they were very good at going way, way, way further than most what most people would expect. So... When most people might stop at, at X, they would go to Z and back around um, to A again uh, because they might think <laughs> outside the box. So that's what I learned from you know those guys was just how far they pushed ideas and how far they went and how quickly they could respond if there was a, if it didn't work. And yeah. that was one of the you know one of the biggest learning experiences to push as far as you can, but be ready for failure. And and the team needs to be ready for failure as well. I remember. One time in Arrows Grand Prix when um, I used to do all the crash testing and, and things like that, and we'd gone a little bit too far one year, and um, we broke a chassis, and uh, we were quite, you know, we did the walk of shame as we came back into the, the factory, and um, but everyone said, don't worry, we're ready to go. What do you guys want to do next? And we said, um, uh, we give us an hour or something to think about what we should do next. And basically the whole factory was ready to go waiting for us to tell them what we needed to do. And I said, are you sure you guys are happy to stay all night? And they said, no, that's all right. We knew this was going to be high risk and everybody's ready and waiting. The whole production department is ready and waiting for whatever we have to do next. And it was an amazing team of people. They knew we were pushing hard. They knew we wouldn't always break things and go too far. 
we'd have a, a nice balance, but they were also ready to help um, sort out the problems if we had them. And um, that was pretty special, I must say. Yeah, what an advantage to have people prepared for that, to, to have people anticipate this is part of the sport, this is part of the game. And uh, yep. instead of having all sorts of rash emotions, it's almost like a emotional <laughs> preparation, right? Yeah, it was. They all knew. I suppose that in the past they trusted that we didn't always break things too much. We we had a nice balance between going a little bit too far and not going far enough. Um, so yeah, they knew it was all part of the game and knew part of knew it was part of how you go forward and, and learn. Um, and that's some of the learning I had from yeah, some of the more the more uh, yeah big names that I've worked for. I love it. Well, um, for folks that want to see what All Electric F1 is all about and they want to follow you guys, what where's the place, places on social to, to catch catch up with you guys? So if you search for DS Techita, spelled T-E-C-H-E-T-A-H, um, so Tech Cheetah, um, you'll find us. Um, we'll be testing this week in Valencia. I'm not sure when this podcast will come out, but uh, we'll also be racing in Riyadh in December, and then uh, after Christmas we'll be in Marrakesh. So, yeah, you look up Formula E. It's called ABB uh, FIA Formula E Series, and um, you can see what we're doing at DS Tachita. I love it. Well, everybody, please tune in for part two of the episode. We're going to ask Mark more about uh, this exciting world. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about: if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and. Trent Mano. I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time like 10 or 20 cents you pick what billboard you want it on what time of day you want it to run and it just puts so much power in the hands of of marketers and ceos who want to try something and see if it works you can buy as many or as few as you want change it as many times as you want Uh, i think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors we're pretty excited about it hope you check out blipbillboards.com thanks Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.